You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello there, I'm Stuart Goldsmith, and today I'm talking to physical comedian The Boy With Tape On His Face, who has got a five-star review from pretty much every critic out there. And shortly after this interview was recorded live at the Edinburgh Festival, uh, he went on to win the panel prize at the Edinburgh Comedy Awards. So here he removes the tape to talk to us in person as his alter ego, Mr Sam Wills. Have a seat. And do do take that out of the thing if you'd like to. Dun, dun, dun. Ah. How you doing? How, what's it like being on stage without the tape? Talking to an audience. Yeah, look, there they are. Look at their faces. Look at their hungry and, eyes. And you ru- have to say things now. Yeah, and ruining it with a New Zealand accent. Yeah. So it's the, sorry. Did anyone know that Sam was from New Zealand? Oh, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it weird? <laughs> Some people think I'm French because I wear stripes and play accordion music. Did you, who, yeah. did you think, hands up, who thought he was French? Did you really? <laughs> was, was, it, was it the stripes? It's the hair. It's the hair. Yeah. It is, it's pretty French hair. Mm. It's, did you say... Tintin. Tintin, I believe, was Belgian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously. Europe. Sorry. As opposed to a Kiwi, it's all basically the same, isn't it? Yeah, Thank you very much uh, for coming here. Uh, I should explain, uh, Sam is an old friend of mine. We've been buddies uh, from the street performing days. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it's really exciting to have you on the show. Uh, I worry sometimes when I have people on who I know really well that we don't get to see each other very much. No, all I want to do is here. How's it going? Yeah. Good. Oh, hi, everyone. Um, but uh, it's, it's lovely to see you. Thanks for coming on. Let's talk about the boy with tape on his face. Uh, I think... Has everyone, has everyone here seen it? Or You haven't? No. You're just seekers after mystery. Fantastic. Okay, tell us what the ending of the show is. No, don't really. <laughs> um, so, just to explain... To explain to these people, then, uh, what, uh, what you see the, the act as being. The boy with tape on his face is a, essentially a stand-up comedy show where I won't talk for an entire hour. I, I gaffer tape my mouth shut, and so I wear... Uh, I kind of throw back to a mime costume with a stripy, sort of French, yeah, French stripy, <laughs> stripy uh, top, uh, grey jeans, and a little blazer, and I carry a satchel full of props. That on stage I've got cardboard boxes full of everyday objects that I use in different ways, and I have a lot of audience participation. So I get people out of the audience and I turn them into different, sometimes puppets, uh, sometimes I'll get them to do little jobs on stage and uh, they help complete scenes. And I use music a lot to create uh, the punchlines mostly. 
Yeah, I love the idea of getting people on stage and getting. I get them to do little jobs. Jobs. <laughs> no, no, you sort of sounded a bit like a Doctor Who villain. Like I turned them into puppets. <laughs> and in fact, our, our lovely sound tech, Misha, uh, was a bit scared of you coming on the show today. She finds the the audience she finds the, the, well, no, she not? finds the act. She finds you with Gaffer oh, really? to be a little bit frightening. It does I, have I can, that sort I of can edge. See how it does have a sort of hostage connotation to it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the, yeah it, it is pretty scary, I suppose. And um, also the style visually, it's kind of like a, a French sort of Tim Burton. Yeah, Isn't it? it has yeah. that kind of well, the, the, yeah. The Tim Burton influence is massive because I'm I'm from that era of growing up with Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands and and loving all of those films. Very sure. much the earlier work, the the more recent stuff. Um, okay. But and and even the name itself, the boy with tape on his face, comes from a collection of poems by uh, Tim Burton, which is uh, the. Is it really? Well, Tim Burton wrote a book called The Melancholy Death of Oyster Boy. And, yes, okay. And there was a story called uh, the, the Boy with Nails in His Eyes, which was a little short poem about a, a boy who had nails in his eyes who put up a Christmas tree, and uh, he couldn't see it, but to him it was beautiful. And I thought it was really, really sweet, this idea that you uh, you can't see something, but it's still nice. So I, I, then I took the boy, and it's very literal as well, so the boy with tape on his face. Yeah. The boy who can't speak, who wants to say a lot. Did you did you try, uh, or is there like months worth of rehearsal with nails in your eyes before you went, this... <laughs> It's just you, not working. You know about nails. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, of course. Yeah. Uh, I should explain as well. Uh, Sam, being a, a dirty little street performing carny, um, <laughs> you were also. I mean, you started off. Did did you start off hammering nails up your nose, or what, what no, was what the, was your start the, of your? The odd. <laughs> yeah, that's yes, a real. That's a real thing. Yeah, the, the odd progression for me was I started off um, doing magic. That was my my, my first love was uh, doing magic tricks. So I I got a magic set when I was a kid. Uh, then from magic I learned I, I found a clown who taught me to do some clowning stuff. So I learned to ride a unicycle. Juggling. Then I became obsessive compulsive about juggling, uh, where I dropped out of school to juggle more. My parents made me learn every aspect of juggling. I went to a, a Your parents made When you went well, I'm bailing this for juggling when They I, went Well then you're bloody doing juggling Yeah that was yeah. pretty much it Yeah okay. If you want to learn to juggle professionally Then know everything about juggling So I had to learn that There were the six basics Kind of clubs, balls, rings, diablos Devil ball, uh, devil stick and cigar boxes So I had to research The history of those six items And then understand where they came from And then also master them And know exactly how to use them And then learn the outskirts of juggling From contact juggling Kendamas to And then going into unicycles Still walking tightrope walking and then went to circus school where I studied more so we did a small amount of trapeze acrobatics and I did more juggling juggling was still my main passion at that time Mm -hmm. and then from juggling it was the uh, I got interested in circus sideshow I met a sword swallower and that, that was kind of it. Which sword swallow did you Hefty mean? Jeff. Hefty name. Jeff. And, uh, <laughs> with, a, with a Kiwi accent, that's particularly Hef- funny, Hefty isn't Jeff, it? Uh, Hefty uh, Jeff, isn't it? <laughs> but he, he used to swallow swords and, and various knives and samurai size, but his thing was he could swallow a, a, an electric bread knife going, which was... Oh, wow. That's amazing. great. That's great, isn't it? That's lovely. I love the way circus tricks work like that. We've both got a lot of experience yeah, in that kind of world. And, you know, the first time you see space cowboys yeah. swallow a neon tube that lights his neck up... Just or, or I saw a guy so at Glastonbury a few years ago juggling tasers with the handles gaffer taped down. So he's so juggling live tasers. Oh, it's just Brilliant. fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> you just gotta, you take that kind of imagination and go, okay, yeah. what? So, and that's sort of very similar to the way to the way you work now, isn't it? I mean, yeah. let, let's we'll come back to that yeah. in a second because I'm enjoying this just the, putting the, you in the, context. The, yeah. the oddity of our, and so from Hefty Jeff after seeing some of the odd things that he did, I started learning the the circus sideshow stunts. So the first one I learned was the human blockhead, which is the nail up nose. So I yeah. learned that by um, taking cold spaghetti and uh, snorting it up my nose and coughing it out my mouth, so I could find where the sinus passage was. Yeah. And then I took a, a four inch nail. You realise they're, they're going to sell their tickets now. Yes, they're not sorry. coming yeah. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> then I took the four inch nail and put it inside one of those modelling balloons. 
once, so that way I acted like a kind of condom for a nail. I covered it in olive oil so it wasn't going to cut me in any way, shape or form, and just sort of slowly prodded it around until I found exactly where it needed to go. And then I got used to that, and then I started just doing the nail regularly, and then I upgraded. And so when you say doing the nail, what you're describing is you get a four-inch nail, four nail, and you tap it with a hammer until it goes into your tap head. Tap with a nail into the face. And then in that show, I would be getting a female volunteer out of the audience whose job was to prove the nail was real. I'd hammer it in, and then she would have to pull it out with her teeth. Uh, <laughs> that's, you see, now, was that your own twist on it, the teeth? Twist, because yeah. that's a fairly common act. The human yeah. blockhead is yeah. a sort of standard treat. But it's, that, it's taking the idea of a common thing, and that's a beautiful tweak on it, isn't yeah. it? To get someone to get close enough to pull it out with yeah. her teeth. That's and beautiful. Then I'd take it another step further because I practiced more so I could learn to do it with a power drill. Yes, uh, okay. So I would then get the female volunteer to hold the power drill so it was her responsibility and I would lower my face onto it. Wow. <laughs> so the noise there was someone being sick in the background just for the sake of the recording. Yeah. Wowzers. Okay. And then, yeah, from, then going on from that, so what, what kind of context were you performing these things in? Did you do the power drill in a street show, uh, in, a, in a cabaret show? What was the... I was kind of doing it on the street, but not very successfully. Okay. Because audiences would walk away. You couldn't find a... <laughs> I was going to say, also, you're difficult to find a socket. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, uh, the street shows I was doing were very crude, kind of juggling fire and, and standing. I think I, for one of my shows, my earlier street show, I used to juggle three fire clubs, standing on a chair, wearing a full body condom, because I thought that would be the safety thing. Uh, yeah, and nice. then um, it, it was a terrible street show. And then I was doing that for a wee bit, and then I evolved to standing on raw eggs, juggling fire. It was always juggling fire, because mm-hmm. that was the thing for the street. I was very much a early street performer and then from there uh, got into comedy accidentally because uh, Jared Christmas was the, the reason yes I was, I was talking comedy. to Jared the other night about yeah, it. okay and yeah. I, uh, he um he rang me once with a kind of panic because a comedian cancelled last minute and so I got a phone he, we, we live in the same town in Christchurch and he ran the only comedy club once a month and he rang me saying one of the comics is cancelled can I come down and do some tricks and it was like, well, what can I do? Can I, can I do some fire? And he went, no, it's inside. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just sort of bungled in a whole bunch of tricks and sort of said, can I do this, can I do this, can I do this? And he went, you just get up there and do 10 minutes. And so I just went on stage with a suitcase and just went, here's me hammering an nail at my nose. Da, da, da. All right, okay, next trick, here's this. Do you want to see me do this? Da, da. And that then became my style of hyping an audience up. Do you want to see this? Say, yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah, this. Yeah. And so it became... So that was before, so you'd done some street shows. I'd done a tiny amount of street. you didn't have a circle didn't have a show. Have, I, I, didn't, I hadn't had really nailed a street show properly I hadn't mastered exactly how to do <laughs> no pun intended <laughs> I hadn't actually figured out the science of a street show so then I, when I went indoors I had what I thought was the understanding of how street performing worked and then I applied that to on stage to comedy so I didn't have a stand up comedy base and I didn't have a street show base but I knew roughly how they both worked mm-hmm. and then I made this little format of my own of high energy prop comedy so mm-hmm. I would just go on stage and go, here's, here's 30 or 40 tricks done in 20 minutes very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And so that way the audiences were just overloaded. Then by the end of it, I'd, I'd go off. So it was a, it was a, a tough act to follow because the stage was always covered in crab. Um, <laughs> leaves of nails sticking yeah. out like caltrops. <laughs> there we go, follow that. But also because the audience, so I, I would, I, I'd learnt on stage doing that show how to control an audience and how to hype them up and make them sort of respond in that way. Sure. Yeah. So that would, put, that would seem to put you in the same category is a fair amount of street performers who've brought their stuff indoors. indoors yeah. So what was the next stage? What was it that, I mean, then you went into doing... Uh, then I started doing uh, one-hour solo shows because I was just doing 20-minute spots and 15-minute spots in comedy clubs. And then from there, I started writing my own one-hour shows. And the, and the first real... I wrote a kid... Uh, no, I wrote an adult show called The Prince of Cringe, which was based, a, uh, based on a fairy tale using these circus sideshow stunts. Yeah. And it didn't go very well. Years later, I realised... I wrote a kid's show. It wasn't meant for adults. It was uh, okay. 
Yes. I remember the Prince yeah. of Cringe is a children's show. Yes, yeah, okay. So I sort of tweaked and changed for kids later. But uh, then I started writing, um, I just kind of felt like this Dancing Monkey. So the first real successful show I had was a show called Dance Monkey Dance. Mm-hmm. which was kind of like an autobiographical show about in my life growing up as a kid, learning magic tricks, becoming a clown, going to circus school and, and various whatnot. And so that. did that did that have a spoken element to it? If it was about those things, yeah, was it, it, was, it was um, trick-led? I, was I, trick sta- I started the show with like a 10-minute comedy spot to hype the audience up and then go, thank you very much, good night. And then I would pack up on stage and then just sort of acknowledge the audience and then discuss, normally people leave at this point because my job is done. Mm-hmm. Then it would become a backstory on here's, you know, then it was, it was just a narrative quiet story. There were some incredibly quiet, sad moments in it as well. And, mm-hmm. and, and it was incredibly honest as well, which was by the end of the show, people were going, there was that connection of, of saying how, because I do another trick where I put the rubber glove on my head and I blow it up with my nose. Mm-hmm. And I, I sort of told the audience, it's very silly. Uh, I, I told, it's not in the show. It's not in the show. Not in the show, show yeah. <laughs> I'd suffocate. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's a good job. It's a good job. You had that conversation with yourself before <laughs> attempting <Yeah>. that trick. <laughs> But I sort of had the conversation. I had the, the, the conversation with the audience, saying how the only question I ever get asked after a comedy show is, "Does it hurt when a glove pops on my head?" And I would, I had that for years, and it was so mm. I kind of wanted to address that fact that nobody actually knew who I was, and so I did a whole show telling them, "This is who I am." I, I've, you know, I studied a magic thing. I did this. I did this and this. So by sure. the end of it, they were really, really invested in the whole show. So, so did you find that no one knew who you were because the tricks were taking over? Oh, if absolutely. you were the person doing tricks, then yep. they just saw the tricks and had no real interest in yep. you. I was very much a dancing monkey. The music yes. would come on, I would do the tricks and then disappear. And speaking, I mean, we can yeah. we know a lot of dancing monkeys, yes. don't we? <laughs> and, 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 and that is, and I'm not slagging them off. That's no, a no, thing that a lot of performers. I mean, I used to be a street performer on the Royal Mile. I could juggle and do a lot of that, mm. that stuff myself. And I always used to find that very frustrating. My my journey through that came gradually dropping all of the tricks yeah, and doing the, more yeah, and more talking in my street show until I looked back and went oh I'm basically a stand-up comedian yeah, go I'll go this. inside and there won't be dogs <laughs> yeah <laughs> there won't be e.g. dogs or rain um, yeah. but the money will invert yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so so that so you were that was born out of a sense of wanting to express yourself yeah, rather than simply go look at this trick. Yeah, and then funnily enough, after I had spoken to an audience and, and expressed myself, I, I won an award for the show, which was mm-hmm. wonderful. And at the time in New Zealand, it was the biggest comedy award. And so I got this thing and then it was like, oh, great. Now there's the expectation for just to do more tricks and talking. So there yeah. was that feeling of, well, I haven't, I've won and lost. That was the... the okay, okay. Because they, it was like they were going, yeah. that's very good. Yeah. Do more tricks. Well done, monkey. Yeah, well, well done, monkey. <laughs> Continue dancing. <laughs> right, yeah. another show. Okay. <laughs> and so, so that was the, then the idea was to, to drop it all completely and um, to surprise everyone and do a silent show with no tricks. So that, that the plan came to devise a character. And so I, I, I had this a little costume that I put together with a kind of scraggly shirt and, a, again, jacket and jeans because I, at the time, didn't really probably own that much clothing. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I, I had a tape measure as a tie. I remember that. And, and I wandered on stage and, and did the act. And uh, within the first sort of 30 seconds, uh, the act, the premise for the act was, uh, I don't even know what the first gag was. I think the idea was to, to kind of do the mucking around with the microphone mm-hmm. business. And, and then I had some one prop or something that I was going to play with and try and find an audience member to do something with a prop. But within the first 30 seconds, I just went straight into, good evening, how are you doing? Ah, yeah. that, that was it, because it was that panic of, sure. I'm way out of my comfort zone. Yes. And so in New Zealand, we're lucky enough to have only one comedy club. So uh, <laughs> I got to ring the owner of the comedy club and say, can I come back and do it again? 
went back and then the tape kind of went onto my face more out of necessity first time around. Out of necessity to, to stop, stop you from panicking and yeah. just going and doing sort well, of Well, I could panic stuff. underneath the whole thing. I could still yeah. panic, but there's no option to... Which then yeah. became funnier because it was yes. that thing of hostage I can't communicate to an audience. Sure. So I sort of made the decision that day to tape face and then it was like, okay, if there's tape on my face, what would I need? I would need some scissors to take it off. So then I did, uh, I rigged a set of scissors from the roof of the comedy club. So when I came on stage, I looked up and everyone saw the scissors and then I did the, uh, the mil- uh, milk crate stack, which is where you get milk crates and you sort of get them passed to you by volunteer and you stack them higher and higher. And so I did that on stage. So it was still falling back on the street performing kind of nervousness mm-hmm. hype but trying to work on this character and then uh, when I got to the top of the milk crates I pulled out of scissors out of my own pocket and uh, cut them yeah. down there's the gag gotcha. and that was the bit okay so in terms of let's talk about that as, a, as an example where did that let's talk about the process by which you, you found that gag you found the funny in that so it turns like that stops simply being a milk crate milk balance yeah. and actually uh it turns into a piece of physical comedy which happens to contain a circus trick. Yeah. And that's very much, you know, that was kind of, you can see there the genesis of the boy. Yeah, that that became my formula for a long time of just going, what is the the trick? And then, then it did evolve into because I was just using French music, there was no music, then I discovered I couldn't, I didn't want to do these tricks. That was the thing. I, I had to drop the trick because I, I was just then being a dancing monkey with tape on my face. Mm-hmm. So then the idea was to, how can I do something that isn't, isn't a trick but can be led by something else? Because it was all just French background music for the whole set. So then I was listening to music at home and then the music became my new tricks. So okay. all of, the, the music is very heavy in my show, so it'll be French accordion music or, or some sort of generic background stuff. And then it, when, when the joke comes, the music will switch into a very iconic bang. That's it, and, we, and the penny drop moments. So those were, they, they became my trick. So one of the earliest bits I wrote was the um, Unchained Melody ghost bit. Yes, was, yeah, I, can you describe that to us? I, I get a, a female volunteer out of the audience. I uh, have a bit of Play-Doh that I sit on top of a little plastic container and then we stare at it awkwardly to French music. And so she doesn't know what's going on and we, it's that confusion of, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you, and she doesn't know what's happening. Eventually I put her hands into a position. I stand behind her, I grab her hands and we touch the clay. The moment we touch the clay, it switches into Unchained Melody by the Righteous Brothers. So they became the smaller, the smaller tricks and punchlines that I started. That was my formula to, okay. to, to start working to hear the music, find a, find a track of music that I really like, and go. There's something really funny in it, or it became iconic. That was the thing. Okay. It had to be all the music in my show has to be from the 80s and early 90s. I can't do anything from okay. reasonably modern times. Why is why is that rule? Why do you have that rule? Uh, because I want to have a nostalgia thing in my show. Because I want to have um, I want people when they're at the show to remember what it was like to be a kid and the, and those feelings of I remember when things were good. I remember okay. that. So when you hear these songs, majority of the shows are some songs in the show are you know that, that feeling of There's, as well as getting the joke, you're also as, going yeah. Oh, I love this. I love oh, the, yeah, this yeah, song. Okay. I haven't heard this for years. Hey. Sure. It's all good. Sure. So you, so you're saying you would start with, so with that, with that particular piece, you started with the music. You music heard the first. Unchained Melody thing. Unchained you thought, Melody what could I do song. with that? Yep. That, that just became generic. This is a good song. Put it into the iTunes playlist, and then that goes away. So you end up with a huge playlist a of stuff. A playlist of odd songs that I go. There's something funny in all of these. I yeah. see. And then, I, then, okay. I, then I, then I wander around shops and see things and watch people. Like I was listening to. I, I have the playlist occasionally that I have on on shuffle, and I'll be listening to it when I, you know, drinking coffees at cafes. The stripper routine, which is where I get a guy out of the audience to, um, I dress him up and he takes off his clothing. 
to the full Monty's, Tom Jones, You Can Leave Your Hat On. The only reason that came about was because I was in Christchurch listening to the playlist and just as a builder came around the corner, that song came on. Okay. All I could think was it would be amazing if he took his clothes off. (laughs) (laughs) So you listen to music, you walk around shops and you look at people. That's that's the creative process. Okay. In a coat. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Do do you find I mean those obviously it's easy for us to look back at those sort of examples because those are very clear cut ones. Can you give us an example of of something that was harder that didn't work? I mean, is it is it are there ever moments where you're staying up at night going, I can't (laughs) make this work? Or does it all deliver itself in that? um, Yeah, the the yeah, there's mu- I spent months on stuff like that. I, I had, I've like, and my wife will testify to this that I'd drive her crazy with these stupid things. Uh, where I, I had it in my head for, yeah, laugh, months that I thought a, a crossbow that shoots a plunger is incredibly funny. Yes. And so, <laughs> Mike Wood is another great street performer, and he, I knew, had a crossbow that could shoot a plunger. So I traded a set of bouncy stilts for his crossbow. <laughs> So I got his crossbow. So now I had this prop, and I thought, oh, what? okay, this is really good. Now I need to find a toaster that can shoot toast really high. Yes. So I found these guys who built a pneumatic toaster, okay. and they could shoot at 30 feet. So I was. I found these guys who <laughs> built a pneumatic toaster. What a wonderful sentence, though. Google. Yeah, Google yeah, will sure. find anything. So, I, yeah, I, I Googled to- um, powerful toaster, and then from... from <laughs> From there, found these guys who were setting Guinness, Guinness World Records for shooting toast higher than the, the, um, the statues and whatnot. And so I, I managed to get them to come to one of my shows. They understood what I was doing, and then I talked to them about this idea. What I wanted to do was get a plunger, cover it in butter and jam. And, <laughs> and deliver a payload. Yeah. <laughs> because another influence for what I do is cartoons, Wile E. Coyote and all that sort of mm. stuff. It's... I love all those classic cartoons, Looney Tunes and Hanna-Barbera, because I, I don't think cartoons these days are that good. So I, I love that silliness of building, constructing, and, and this ridiculous visual image. But this plunger was inconsistent where, to the point where I, would, I, I had to chop the plunger to put little things in to make it snag the thing to shoot. And, and it could shoot 30 feet. When it went, it was amazing. <laughs> it, was, it was the back of the garden. And it made such a great noise. And, and the plunger was so crude that it was built out of blocks of wood. So it didn't look like a crossbow. It was the type of thing you could assemble. And then only when you lifted it up, you went, oh, my God. And yeah. it would kind of shake gently. <laughs> but the problem was when I would shoot it, every third go, the whole thing would explode. Okay. And that was funny, but the problem was I couldn't rely on that being a thing. So I sure. worked on this for so long going, this plunger, I have to shoot a plunger, this plunger's got to be the big thing. And then um, it just reached that point where I had to kind of confess to myself, this isn't funny, this is not yes. working, and, and put it away. And okay. then the plunger got put away. And, and did you felt. ever try it on stage? Were you performing with it? No, or did you, I, you, you I, binned I, it before you I took it into the... I tend not to do anything on stage unless I know that it's going to work. That's just because I, I'm, I'm afraid to fail. I I have to know that it's going to, to a degree, 60% be funny. Sure. And then I can gloss over and move on. Then the other, just to quickly leap onto something that I can work on and fail at for a long time. I had it in my idea for a long time of getting a guy up on stage and covering, uh, putting some trousers in front of him with feet and then um, making him the legs dance to river dance. So I wanted that. And then eventually trying to find ways to make a huge row of legs that would all do that. So I spent months working on on various um, pulleys and puppets and rigging things up and cheers. I've got a mannequin in my room that I can just kind of strap stuff to. And so I sort of pull. I'm sure you have. (laughs) (laughs) So I would work on this for so many months doing doing the stuff until eventually it was like, this is just not, it it became too hard. I was really forcing the punchline. Mm -hmm. And then I sort of, 
whittled it all back down to going, what is funny? Legs are funny. Feet are funny. So it went back right to Charlie Chaplin's shoe bread thing, mm-hmm. which was actually from Fatty Arbuckle originally. He lifted it. Um, but yeah, the, the shoes, the bread rolls and the, the forks. And then it was, that turned into a pair of shoes to potato mashes for me. Then it mm-hmm. was like cover those with the trousers because the trousers were the prop that I was playing with most. And then that became a whole new puppet. And that's now in the second show. Mm-hmm. And then it was that thing of going, because my wife is like the, 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 blue, the litmus test really for all of my jokes. If she laughs once when I go, this is the idea. If she laughs, I go, that works. Otherwise, I'm going, here's the legs that do this. And then I'm going to do this. And this is it. And she'll just stare at me going, no, this is not yeah. funny. This I have funny. a similar thing with my brother. I kind of test jokes on him. And if he, he's very kind of... Uh, uh, not serious, but if he laughs, it's definitely going to work. Yeah, it's going to work. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and if yeah. he doesn't laugh, it might still work. But oh. if he does laugh, it definitely will. Yeah. If, my, if my wife smiles, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> right, I've got to say, to be honest, I'm a little bit giddy throughout this one. I think whenever I interview someone that I'm good friends with, I tend to get a bit overexcited. So apologies for that. Um, we're going to go with Sam into a bit of detail on some of the more surprising elements of his creative process. Uh, especially his use of music as a starting point, which is something that we've never really covered before on the show. Uh, We're going to talk about some of the techniques that Sam has borrowed from the worlds of magic, circus and street performing in order to manipulate his audience, uh, manipulate maybe, (laughs) too strong a word, maybe not. Um, he also animates his audience to, to a great extent. Um, we'll also discuss his feelings about risk and, uh, and some of the less obvious techniques through which he chooses volunteers from the crowd. Uh, some, some fascinating stuff there. Uh, of course, whenever street performers are on the show, we always end up talking at some stage about money and the acquisition thereof. Uh, and there's some, frankly, hilarious marketing techniques mentioned here that are just begging for someone to adapt to free fringe shows. Lovely. I really must start running a course. Um, thanks for listening not much else to say here do keep telling people about the show join the Facebook group if you like Uh, tweet me at comcompod you can send in your suggestions for guests Uh, it's lovely to to notice on Twitter people um, tweeting other folk and telling them about comcompod and thanking each other for that recommendation so that that warms my heart thank you very much for doing that Um, I'm going to run a little competition at Christmas so do me a favour I've noticed lots and lots of comedians can do really good impressions of other comedians Comedians. So if you know a particularly good one, do email me with the act who can do it and who they can do. Just send me uh, just a one-line email to info at comedianscomedian.com uh, or you can tweet me at comcompod uh, and just say such and such an act can do a really good impression of such and such another act. Uh, only really, I'm only really asking for people famous enough that this would work for a competition, please. They, um, the, both the, the impressionist and the impressionee uh, have to be recognisable to a regular comedy-going crowd. Um, so uh, yeah send me some of those that might work I might try that around Christmas time that'd be fun wouldn't it have a lovely little laugh at Christmas Um, and finally do remember the bleeps at the end of the show are where I've uh, skipped over inaudible audience questions because the audience weren't mic'd you live and learn um, so towards the end of the show, there's a couple of little bips. They're not mistakes. They're just moments where I've, I've bleeped out uh, audiences' questions. So there we go. I shall return you now uh, to the wonderful Sam Wills. Let's, let's talk about this, this idea that you want to... That, is, that things have to be 100% reliable. Because it's easy to kind of... In retrospect, it's easy to go, of course you swapped some bouncy stilts for a... Crossbow, crossbow plunger yeah. because you, I could never imagine the boy doing a bouncy, bouncy stilts, stilts no. act because it's too chaotic it's yeah. too random yeah. and your stuff has that 
uh, it's about satisfaction, isn't it? It's about a surprise, like a lot of like a lot of kind of ver- uh, verbal jokes. It's about a surprising yet satisfying conclusion. Yeah. So the laugh comes when we or the person on stage or we then them or them then us realise what's going on. Yeah, that penny and dropping moment. Exactly. It's the- so it's it's a sort of a satis it's a satisfaction kind of ah, oh, which is in a kind of way that's maybe reminiscent of when you're juggling and you nail a trick. Yeah. You have to nail the things. Don't Every you? time it has you to have be to land it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So. Go on, you look no, like you're no, 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 I was just thinking that it, it is then, then that's why I'm, I'm, I am trying to drop all the tricks and, and it becomes frustrating when I see something in the show that I'm not in control of. There's a hairdryer, I've got hairdryer issues at the moment. Yes, where, I see, it's a lovely I, bit. Yeah, there's, you, if you buy a 2000 watt hairdryer, it will shoot a ping pong ball this high, but if you buy a 2200 watt ping pong ball, it goes this high and they do not make a 2100 watt ping pong uh, hairdryer. So okay. I need it that height, so I'm trying to desperately find ways to to make it work and it doesn't work sure. so this is why in the show I, at the moment I'm can you dial the power source somehow I've, I've so been it gets word, less no don't no, 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 I don't understand that interesting yeah. <laughs> can you do some sort of spell oh, cool. <laughs> can I, can I go? Um, so yeah so like the, the inconsistency and even uh, the throw even me throwing a plunger like I, I, originally the rule was for me that there are no tricks, no tricks, no talking in the show. That has evolved and changed. Like I do do a couple of tricks in the show. Sure. And like I throw a plunger and even then it still doesn't work sometimes. Yes. But okay. for me it has to normally land. Okay. But is there not, in that example of the, the hairdryer and the ping pong ball, yep. and there's a person, I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't mm. seen it, but there is a person trying to do something with yep. that ping pong ball yep. and it takes many goes. Yeah. Is that frustrating to you that it takes many goes? Because isn't it also we ran chaotic out of, We ran out of music. We ran out of music. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. The, the track's four minutes, 17 seconds yeah. long. It's a long time to be holding a hairdryer going, hit the ball! Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just trying to do it over and over and over. The, the, the gag is he's trying to hit a ping pong ball into a golf green that I've kind of built and he just has to land it once. So you combine the odd factor of a guy who's uncoordinated with a ping pong ball that's varied and then another guy who's just swinging a thing around. It just yeah. becomes this weird thing where I'm a wee bit out of control but at the same time I then try and rein it in to go it's really really easy we'll pull everything together. are you ever tempted to explore those areas of being out of control no no <laughs> okay okay that's interesting because it, it reminds me that bit reminds me of something like Tim Vine's pen behind the ear yeah have you I don't know if people are familiar with that it's a routine where brilliant one liner comic um, Tim Vine uh, it plays this music that just goes pen behind the ear pen behind the ear pen behind the ear Amazing. for a very long time while he tries to throw a pen behind his ear misses and he's got a box of pens and he's just and he's doing it for a very long time but part of the the joy of that is that it cannot be fixed he's trying to throw a pen behind his ear and it doesn't work for a very long time and then it does work yeah that first part you know he's kind of just mucking around and then you will see that face change of I need to land this (laughs) yes absolutely (laughs) sure sure but that's I I, I mean that that routine I imagine I've not spoken to about it but I imagine that routine is sort of about being out of control yeah. and needing it to end. I guess in the work that he does, if he's doing a 90-minute stage show and every, all of his jokes are one-liners, if it does go on for 10 minutes, he can cut some jokes, which yeah. is very different. He's quite regimented. Yeah, for me, yeah, the, the show is so structured with lighting and sound that I have to, oh, I have to get it in the right order and I have to rein it in to a degree. Like, I mm. will have to speed stuff up, but there's you know only so much you can do. I notice as well, you have a little bin at the back of the stage, like a good street performer, where after each trick, you put the stuff tidy away. I it's right. almost as if you're expecting, like, oh, hefty Jeff's on in two seconds. I've yeah, got to get off, got to get get off, off the pitch. pitch. <laughs> well, that, 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 that is out of necessity in this show because normally I, I would pref- 
prefer to be able to cover the stage in rubbish because that in the first show I very much did that. It was just everywhere. Um, whereas with the second show, for the finale part of it, it needs to be a reasonably clear stage, otherwise I'll be breaking stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, but it is a, a, that thing of how do I clean and clear the stage? Yeah, so at the same time. Yeah. And I, I just, uh, sort of this is anecdotal rather than... Um, uh, rather than uh, interview per se, but I always remember you as a street performer being so sharp and thinking of these things before everyone else. I mean, there's a, the street performing community is like a hive mind of ideas which people nick from each other and improve. And you know, it's <laughs> like sta- pirates standing on the shoulders of giants is how it's politely referred to. You know, as soon as someone gets up a ten foot pole and realizes that's all you need to do to get an audience, the next person will get up a ten foot pole and juggle fire, and the next person will do it standing on their head. And a ch- Chainsaw on fire. With a chainsaw oh. on fire. Exactly. It really is. It's yeah. chainsaw on fire, up a stick, naked. You cannot fail. Um, but you always... Are, the, and the thing that me and uh, Pete Dobbing, a mutual friend of ours, a street performer and comic, um, the thing that Pete and I used to just go crazy over was when you were hatting your street shows yeah. um, and you'd say, for a, a paper donation, uh, you get a signed photo. Yeah, I was very clinical and cynical about my street show. Well, no, actually... Well, it's I, not... I don't know if it is cynical. So I mean, it was very good marketing. Yeah, well, the, the, the street show, the street performing side of things, when I went from comedy back to street, because I kind of... Uh, you know, when I, uh, I lost... The the joy of performing on stage for a while and it's like well, okay I'm going to go back to what I enjoyed doing which I thought was street performing which I hadn't quite nailed so it was like right I'm going to learn how to be a good street performer so I looked at my street show and then sat down with, with my wife and we over analysed it we just mm-hmm. went do every detail of it and then just started getting into the almost neuro-linguistic programming of the whole thing of how mm-hmm. to how to, a street show for me is my, well, my street show isn't a creative street show it is a, it's a marketing thing of making money mm-hmm. because it was going to be my income. I was going to be a professional street entertainer. I had one show a day to make the most amount of money possible out of one audience in 40 minutes. How can I get these people to part with the biggest amount of cash? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the show was based on how can I repeatedly say the number five throughout the show? Yeah. How can I, you know, doing this, uh, holding up my hand, constantly reminding people in five minutes, I'm going to do this, I'm going to give you this and this yeah. and this. And then I would be saying... Yeah, I even actually managed to say the word pounds through it. Like, and I want, you know, you, the round of applause you gave me, uh, you gave me a five. This time I want you to give me a ten. And then yeah. I, I want you to give me absolutely everything you've got. <laughs> <laughs> Creepy little magician. <laughs> this reminds me of uh, St- Stevie Blades. You know, Steve yeah. is still with the, does the street at the moment. Yeah. He had a hammer. And I remember he does a trick where he gets a concrete block broken on his chest. And I remember saying, whatever that hammer weighs, you've got to keep referring to it as the ten pound hammer. Like, <laughs> Like, just to say it yeah. enough times. Yeah. And I remember yeah. Mr. Spin and his crew, they had uh, they had those shirts, like American baseball shirts, yeah. and the red piping was exact, and they all had number 20, and the red piping of the shirts was exactly the same colour red as a $20 Australian yeah. bill. So this is, there's a bit, you know, the, he's, yeah, not, he's not the only one out there <laughs> doing, programming the audience. Yeah. But the thing, the thing that particularly caught our eye was, um, was you for a paper donation, you get a signed, signed photo, photo because the, the signed idea. photo had a badge and your contact details. <laughs> so you were selling your business card. Yes. Oh, come on! <laughs> there's, that exci- there's that certain excitement that happens around a street show where you want to get something from them. And, uh, and, and so, you know, if you've created this whole thing and you want, you go, I've got this thing, you need to give me this and I'll give you this in return. Yes. The badges weren't, they weren't that expensive to make and the, the sure. photos were pretty low-grade quality. And, but it was, you know, <laughs> they, they were, it was a physical thing. And, you know... And kid, it was a good thing. They wanted them. You weren't ripping they, no, people off. No, they, they, they wanted well, they the also, thing they and all, they wanted to pay for the they show. They also got a joke with it as well because the joke was uh, they 
would they they got a signed photo of me pushing my body through a tennis racket, and on the back were the instructions on how you can push your body through a tennis racket. And the instructions were along lines of get a tennis racket, remove strings, push body through. Sam, yeah. <laughs> Sam Wills accepts no responsibility for any injury. Yeah. <laughs> and then that was it. So it was it kind of looked like a joke in the show, but it was very much a real sell. It's like you can't buy this. This is for sale. Get this. Yeah. And then yeah. people would come and had and take it. Yeah. Let's talk about your notebook. You've brought some bits with oh, you. Well, Something is... I ask comics to do on the show is to bring with them their, their notebook or more often these days their note-taking app um, and uh, to sort of talk us through if you have an idea you're thinking about at the moment to sort of explain what, what routes you will take to unlock the funny in that idea. See, all what I've got at the moment is um, I list songs whenever I hear them. So I've, for some, even I haven't looked at these for a while. Walking on Sunshine. Good song, it says. Uh, <laughs> 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 when a man loves a woman, is it's just I've listed songs I like. When, I'm, when a man loves a woman, uh, Heartbeats is in there. Uh, Hero by Enrique Iglesias, good, good, good song. So, yeah, okay. <laughs> so so I, these these are my list of bits and pieces. So then, so let's let's take Walking on Sunshine. Mm. So there's there's that song. You yeah. listen to the song, and yeah. are you already thinking, okay, what can I do? To, what can I, I, I do would, on stage that will make this be a punchline? Is I, that how I, you... would, I would initially be looking for a pun, uh, okay. on Sunshine, so that way that becomes the first joke, or it just becomes about the music and the beat, and then it becomes uh, a, a moving thing. So it's like, well, what can I do with an audience member? Because again, when I write material, it becomes back to very simple, simple things. Conflict are my main things. So, uh, like the second show at the moment is very boisey. It's my nephew's fault as well. I write a lot with him. He, he's sort of, well, when I say write, he doesn't know. I'm just playing with him and taking all his ideas. <laughs> <laughs> how, how old is he? He was nine when okay. uh, I sort of was working on the second show. Sure. Yeah. The okay. first show, the first show evolved naturally, which was a completely different process to the second show, which is why they are kind of different. First show, when I was writing the material, it was just a listen to a song, find the punchline, and then that would grow into this thing. And, um, and then also accidentally finding the music that would evolve into the jokes. Uh, whereas the second show was very kind of forced. I had three months to write the show. Mm -hmm. So it was like, find these. That's why the, sh the second show is maybe a wee bit more streety influenced rather than the first show is quite okay. pretty. The second show is more in your face, loud. Yes, because you also had to scale up to doing to a, a 750 seat venue, yeah, so which you are selling out every yeah, night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> five, five, five. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah so the music is one aspect if anything when I'm now writing material it's like the this is probably the best example of that I've got for, for writing a joke mm -hmm. where I and, and, the, and I normally write material when I'm not supposed to because with the second show I was kind of forced I, I booked into a festival to do an hour long show called More Tape and I hadn't written a single joke for it and there was that terror of this deadline is here I have to deliver it because the that's, festival wanted me to come back and do that it That is a good and that's a, a, a very frequent thing I hear that a good way to make work yeah. is to book yourself into something you can't get out of yeah. not do anything for a long time and, and then, then panic, panic, ah, yeah, yeah, and, and then create that panic did yeah. happen where, where Felicity and my wife locked me into a room for for uh, six weeks with a whole bunch of stuff and just went, you have to stand here and write a show. Mm -hmm. And so I just had my... She locked you in there with some stuff? Well, yeah, pretty much. That was it. I, was, I found, look, there's a lawnmower and a cabbage. Just go was, and... Don't uh, come there, out there when you've got five minutes. There was the one room in our house that no one was allowed to kind of go into and they couldn't go into it because it was just... It was always messy and horrible and it was like a child's bedroom or just crazy. Uh, my mother-in-law walked in there once and just went, I'm not going back in there. <laughs> and so she walked out and then I would pop around to the shop and buy my props and go in there and just and work on these ideas and bits and pieces. And so when I would work on an idea 
other times I would have to do something very serious or, or do the work side of things, taxes. Like I remember putting aside an entire day to work on my taxes and that's when the idea pops in. So, okay. Because <laughs> now I'm trying to avoid doing this. Sure. So go play over here. So then that became the excitement and that's where this, this my latest idea, which I've been working on for, uh, for this the, is... For the benefit of uh, listeners, Sam is holding a small rubber pig. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> But that, he's just done that with his own mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's a squeezy dog toy pig that I found, and, uh, and it's always been funny. And originally I used it as a phone, and I would pretend to talk, yeah, okay. and then I'd hang up. And that was the gag. And then it was like I, I was trying to do some normal work, and then Blue Orchid by the White Stripes came on, and it was that repetitive doom, 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 doom throughout it. And I saw the pig, and I thought the pig could be the drum kit. So it was like the pig going... Repetitively over and over and over, getting getting quite boring. But then it was like, okay, how can I make a drum kit? So I went out and bought these flappy hands, the Come On England things. Yeah. And so then it would build to me. Eventually, the the pig would become the kick drum, <laughs> and then these would become the drumsticks. <laughs> What? That, that's funny and it got a clap and a yeah. laugh then yeah. unfortunately it's not funny it doesn't work it, as, okay. a, as a joke on stage I've, I've tried it in five shows now because that's the thing I, I, I say I won't try something on stage unless I know it's funny I know it's funny to a degree but the thing is Blue Orchid is two minutes fifty long mm-hmm. and so it's a long time <laughs> yeah. so I've got to try and then slow the joke down to reveal these eventually and pull the pig out and, and, and whatnot. so that becomes let's, well, let, let's talk about well, let's talk about specifically that just something you're saying there you've got to slow the joke down okay so, so what so I do now is um, the pig I have to the pig now becomes a running gag because I want to introduce the pig to people so that way when I present it as a kick drum it's now not a pig anymore it's a kick drum but it's not otherwise if I pull it out straight away and start using it as a kick drum it's a kick drum that's it mm-hmm. so I now need to show it as a pig and so I show the sh- early on in the set I go this is a pig look at this and then I just put it away and then, then I get on with the show and then uh, I, I would normally hold out a shaker a little egg shaker thingy which I then changed because I realised that the shaker was too much of a real musical instrument so that had to be something else so that changed to a box of crunchy nut cornflakes okay. with a bit of string over it that I would just shake at the audience and then I'd put it away so the, 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 I'm lucky enough that I can be surreal and random throughout the set where I, I can stop everything and introduce an element yes. and ignore it and just go I know what this is okay, okay we'll move on and then, then, then to slow it down at the very end when, when I want to make it work for 2 minutes 50 I would then the music would come in I would start feeling as though what's going on I don't know what's going on and then I'd realise then, then I have that penny dropping moment where oh I know what needs to happen I pull the pig out and then the pig starts honking then that's the that's the joke for them initially mm-hmm. so now I'm just squeezing a pig for the first sort of minute staring at an audience going this is great fun kind of thing and then I have to get bored with it which was uh, again a, a, an incredibly frustrating thing to watch um, the opening ceremony of the Olympics because uh-huh. I got sent a link of Mr Bean doing because yes. I'm, I'm not the biggest Mr Bean fan but everyone thinks I am because I yeah. don't talk <laughs> <laughs> but he did the chariots of fire thing with the piano where, and, I, and as he was just getting bored doing that one note all I could think was two years I've been working this, <laughs> this pig <laughs> where I get bored with a pig so I'm hoping that he'll slowly that, that bit will vanish and then people won't think oh you saw Mr Bean do that and you were yeah 
Um, I, I think only you in your head could possibly yeah, yeah, make, make that, that connection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and then so once once I've got the pig, sort of, I, I get bored with the pig and then put it away. And then the music will then drive the action. So the music has the hi hats in it, which then bring out the crunch nut cornflakes, which then so the audience make the connection. The crunch nut cornflakes are now the hi hat. So I bring those out, and then it comes back to the pig. So it, the the, okay. mu- the music goes from hi hats to back to that boring drum beat. So it's like, yay, we've got something different. And then it's like, no, we don't. We're back to the norm again. So that gets another laugh. Sure. So it's that, that it, it's repetitiveness. The idea that I'm going to do this again, like pen behind the ear. This is going to keep going for the yes. whole song. Yes. And then the, the the hands come out as the song, as, and because the song does build with energy. So then the hands come out. And I hold back because I, I put my fingers under one half of them, so you only get the initial sort of half. You can choose to get a full clap, or you, when you put your finger under it, you just get that. Okay. So that makes the initial kind of, everyone goes, oh, yeah, he's made drumsticks. Yeah. And then as the music builds and builds and builds, then there's that frenetic moment, and then I fall back to a street performing thing of getting everyone to clap because I can do that with the hands. Everybody claps, which builds the energy, and then we just go nuts with that, and then lights will come in. Lighting is the other thing that I use a lot yes. of jokes to create the punchline and the energy. Sure. So for me, that's how a joke will work. I'll take, I'll take that basic pig squeaky thing and try and drag that out to a three-minute thing okay Drag, dragging it out <laughs> makes it sound even worse let's talk then about the uh, the way you use audience members because that's obviously to, to my mind that has a rich tradition of of in street performing taking people out of the audience animating them I mean I, I think we I don't know when exactly chronologically you became a street performer but I'm sure we have a lot of the same contemporaries people like Anthony Livingspace yep. and Pepe yeah. and Herbie Treehead mm. some of these are available on the uh, Royal Mile if you like look out for Anthony Livingspace he's in town and he's a fantastic clown good. he's just yeah. so good yeah. so good um, so uh, something that they do with uh with, well, I mean, it's not quite fair to sort of lump all of those three together, but they do very, three very different approaches to getting people from the audience to do things. Yep. And from a juggler's perspective, we know getting a guy out and making him do some pseudo-alpha male stuff and getting yep. a laugh at his expense, that's kind of like the, the cheapest possible version yeah. of it. Something you do with audience members is you have a lot of... Uh, there's a thing set up which maybe we can see and they can't, or yeah. we can see we have a different perspective and they don't. Yeah. So the moment is waiting for them to catch on. Yeah, I, and that's but, quite different, isn't it? I've not really seen much. No, but at the same time, I also don't want to embarrass because I, I, you know, I, I was I was chosen as a volunteer once in a show by a street performer and just embarrassed solidly for fifteen minutes as I tied him into a straitjacket and it was horrible. Wow. And then uh, from there, I, I even then became that street performer who would do that alpha male routine of getting people out doing these things. Sure. Can and we so, just? Uh, I, I have a, a cast iron. T- technique for not being chosen as a volunteer in a street show if you'd be interested if you're watching a street show and someone says can you help us just look them in the eye and go I'm a street performer and they'll go oh sorry sorry mate like that they move on keep that to yourself <laughs> um, so yeah so my way of working with volunteers is I don't want them to be embarrassed on stage and that's why in the show they've got the tiniest responsibility normally they have to do one job or stand somewhere or hold something so to a degree I am treating audience members like props they are just coming up and helping hold a prop or do a thing or, or have a role because also that comes back to the risk thing I don't want them to have a responsibility because if they have a responsibility they could ruin the show so okay. that, that's the thing I've written the show that they have to do 
this thing to make this happen, but it's a tiny thing. And if they get it wrong, I'll replace them with somebody else who'll do it. Okay. And, but it, but it, I also don't want to replace them because I want everyone to be successful. I want the audience to like each yes, other. Yes, that's it. No one ever looks embarrassed in your show. Well, they no. might go, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, but, but it's kind of like surface stuff. Yeah. No, no one is ever left. No, because I, I think that, that's really horrible to watch. You don't really want to watch somebody on stage having that awkward, oh, I hate being here because everyone doesn't want to be here. Mm-hmm. And also the moment somebody says no on stage, then everyone has the right to say no straight mm. away which is always mm. bad so so when working through even working through the first show it was the idea of how can I get people to be comfortable on stage and, and enjoying that moment and then then it grew I suppose your example of, of that the perspective thing uh, there's one part in the show where I get audience member to stand on stage and all I want them to do is grab a microphone and and what's happened is I've put the microphone just slightly to his right in front of him but to the audience's point of view, it's right in front of them. And then I, I purposefully will do an action that to an audience looks like grabbing a microphone, but it's closer to my body, so it's not right for him. So that way he gets confused. What oh, so you're deliberate. That's almost like a magical technique, like yeah. a stage magic technique. Yeah. You're appearing to give him very clear instructions Grab whilst deliberately yeah. giving him yeah. confusing instructions yeah. so that he doesn't do he it. Get, he gets it slightly wrong. He's doing the right action. I'll get frustrated but with him. But he doesn't understand the connection. Understand. The audience start making the, the responses and the noise, so he's going, why? are they laughing at me doing this this is just I'm copying him I'm getting it right and then eventually it builds to the moment he touches that microphone it's the success he's done it sure. he's got it right at which point the audience presumably go ballistic absolutely yeah. nuts yeah yeah <laughs> so there are those moments of wanting to control the noise but at the same time I'm not I'm wanting him to succeed but I'm leading him down a, a path to get there sure so I, but I'm not wanting to embarrass him I'm not going oh you're getting it wrong yeah dick. do you think that because you're leading him down a specific path there there is also maybe there is a limit to what that audience member can do in your show. If he is simply, if he or she is sort of a, a prop, yes. effectively, then maybe they don't have the opportunity to do something unexpected. Uh, yeah, yes and no, because they, they come up on stage, I've got the set job for them, which I want them to do, and then norm, nine times out of ten, my objective is to get them up, do the job, and get on to the next bit because the show is locked and lighting mm-hmm. a sound. Occasionally they'll do something that is just, amazing it's like <laughs> then I then then it's frustrating because my job then for the next three or four nights is trying to recreate that moment trying to re-engineer that and incorporate yeah. it into the okay. there was one one routine in, in the first show the stripper one where the guy accidentally put his leg through the armhole and so when he pulled when he pulled it up <laughs> the strap was going through so it was great confusion so it's like this is great so then I spent the next day working out how I could hold the trousers so when I put them on him I was slipping it through his leg okay. then I then I'd step away so then it would look like he had got it wrong but I'd set him up but I wasn't it was that thing of going you've failed but you haven't failed we're confused it's okay we can fix this and it was awkward Okay, quite funny fantastic (laughs) Um, so ladies and gentlemen we've uh, a few minutes left if you've any questions for Sam uh, you can say them through me and I'll just for the sake of recordings repeat them there's a gentleman down here so, so you're starting. You start off this your current show, s- sitting on stage as everyone walks I, in. I, I will start all my shows, and, and the full hour long shows, I always start sitting on stage because the reason is I want to have people get used to what I look like with tape on my face. Because I, I, some people are turning up the show going, you know, what is it? How can it work? So when I want, I want the audience to go, this is what I look like. I have tape on my face. This is what you're going to be watching for the next hour. You can relax. And I also use that time to 
pick all of my volunteers. Ah, <laughs> this is the kind of secret we wanted to know. <laughs> so I will memorise where every person will be for the entire show. So I, and, what, I, and what do you look for in a volunteer? How do you pick? The first... Um, <laughs> so that everyone here can wear a yellow hat, <laughs> which I would never choose. Uh, what, I, what I'm really enjoying about the second show is that people are turning up expecting a certain thing. My first, vo- my first volunteer comes from the back row, which is really fun because everyone... Yes, that's lovely because you look, you step towards the front and everyone goes, here we go, and then you go past them. Yeah, lovely. Uh, When I look for volunteers, I look for, I I normally look for for couples because some couples will come in and watch a show and they will sit there for 15 minutes. Normally I'm sitting for about 15 minutes. They'll sit there for 15 minutes looking straight ahead and they won't talk to each other they won't look at each other and it's so odd but it's really weird and then you get another couple come in who are just all they touch each other they sort of mirror each other and and everything and and you go if I choose one of them the other one is going to be incredibly supportive which will then drive an audience and then when you see packs of of guys come in like when I choose a stripper volunteer it'll be from from choosing a pack of boys normally and then it's I I will choose to do I pick the alpha male who then the others are going to go we support or I try and nail the second in command of the group because then the alpha male in the audience will encourage the others sitting around him to clap and cheer at his second in command which will then drive the audience to clap and cheer Sure. and then the second in command guy on stage won't want to let down otherwise he loses his position in the group. <laughs> so take several mates and make sure you're the runt. That's the. <laughs> <laughs> and then sometimes I will I will just be looking for somebody who's wearing a plain black t-shirt because for one puppet in the first show I need to be able to gaffer tape white so it needs to visually look clear. So sometimes you you might just be wearing the wrong thing, and, yeah. and that's about it. And then. Other times it, it's just, you know, body size and, and hairstyle and things like that. The other interesting thing is that I, I recently just got laser eye surgery done. Oh, yeah. So I can now finally see my audience. <laughs> oh, wow. Because I have had a couple of accidents where I've chosen wrong volunteers. Okay. You know, you know some people look quite androgynous nowadays. Sure. And <laughs> when you're gaffer taping somebody's nipples, it's important to know if they're a man or a woman. <laughs> Me and Noel did an entire show outside Burke Street Mall in Melbourne, you know the old post office yeah. before it burnt down, where we had a volunteer on stage and we didn't know their gender, and Noel had to do a sort of acrobatic stunt jumping over them, and we kept going, so uh, uh, what's your name? And they'd go, Bernie, and you go, of course it is. Uh, and I just go, okay, can we anything? <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, so good. Any, other, any other questions? Was that a yeah, gentleman down here? So, just was that the reason that you brought some people up in a show last year, got them a big cheer, and sent them away? No, that was just that's a, a running callback gag of a guy who I wanted to. He would always be the, the the callback guy who would have a big success at the end. He was the star of the show, so the idea was to introduce him as a prop early on, present him, and then go right. That's your role. Get, get lost. Get rid of him. Get yeah. rid of him. And then it would also put the audience to a degree at ease because it was like he came up, he just stood there, he got a round of applause, and now he's gone, and that, and that was it. So he didn't do anything, and he got a round of applause. So it's a sa- it's almost like going, this is a safe space look at what he got he didn't do anything gotcha. and then we'll move on and then I'd come back to him a few times in the show but then at the very end of the show there was that feeling of the show hasn't been completed until that guy has been used for something and then mm-hmm. he would be used for the biggest and visual finale of, of it all sure any any others so yeah 
Do audiences differ much around no, the world? No, the audiences are pretty much the same. I'm, I'm lucky that I don't have to change anything that I do because mm. the music I'm using is so international and I, I don't have any modern references. The show that I, I did last year, which was the, the first Boy With Tape On His Face, I've been doing that show since 2005. So that's been touring for seven years and it's exactly the same show from seven years. It's never changed. Once it's written, boom, it's done. And so I would, I would travel with that and, and audiences always the same sort of response we've done shows in, in Norway where the um, people were just you know the whole show was in Norwegian and then I'd come on and do my spot and I'd, I would just Wonderful. listen for the boy with tape on his face that's my cue go and, and then yeah it was, and it's you never had been... a situation where like it turns out that the film Ghost wasn't popular in Norway <laughs> so so now you're just molesting a woman and everyone looks at you <laughs> no no I've been pretty lucky we've been uh, if anything, it makes me aware of trying to be international because I want the show to be able to go everywhere. One of the first reasons for working on a silent show as well was because I wanted to go to Japan, but I was too lazy to learn the language, hence <laughs> the lazy show. boy with tape on his face. Yeah. <laughs> so just to finally then, um, just before we wrap up in about two minutes, what, what is, what's next? Given that you've now created a show which is scalable to 750, I mean, what's the biggest venue you've played so far? Um... Royal Albert Hall was probably the biggest. That was seven thousand. Wowzers! Yeah, okay, pretty huge. Pretty huge, and that was a success there. So, what's next? I mean, do you keep infinitely scaling venues, or um, what's the next project? What's the next? The thing next project. Can... I, I want the show to evolve. If anything, my my problem is that I always want to change the rules and not do what people expect. So, if I do another show, which I probably will, I, I might do a, a smaller show. If anything, I feel like the second show has been very boisey. The first show was really nice to introduce the character. The second show is very boisey because it was well, lots of gunfights, Star Wars fights, and mm -hmm. things like that that third show i think it might be a wee bit more sweet and love based and so i might scale it right back or and, and so yeah so i was thinking you know a tiny little hundred seater where everyone can see and just do really small stuff which would be really, really nice or the other option is to completely break the format and change it completely because everyone at the moment thinks you come along you sit in the audience i get people up and we do that and blah blah so an idea on my notebook at the moment is dinner with tape face. So the idea of a uh, 100 people come and seeing a show where I will choose six people, sit them around a table, and then I will make a meal. And then the idea, this concept of somebody with no mouth feeding people I quite like. And, so the, and then I like the idea of also blinding, to a degree blinding the people on stage so they can't see the audience, so then they lose that feeling of I'm being watched. So mm. then they just get the reactions of each other. Mm. Because, uh, yeah... I don't want people to go, I'm coming along to see a show, getting this, this, and a big finale. Well, mm -hmm. So I changed the rules a wee bit. But, and then the next step, I suppose, that would be one project. Where I'd like to take it would be West End. has always been my dream. I'd love mm -hmm. to do a full, big West End show. Like, I, I'd love, I love the idea of having a set. Because at the moment, my set is just cardboard boxes and rubbish. But in my brain, I can picture, you know, huge houses and rooms and stuff and things, mm -hmm. a wall that sings. My, my biggest dream is to walk on stage, opening gag, walk on stage and have the house do the falling oh lovely yes that would be great and that would reveal the rooms that we'd be going into and when you do West End shows they're always like the three levels I'd love to have ramps that go from the stage up to the middle levels and then get yeah. up to the third so that way there's that feeling of you could be involved no matter where you are even like if you're in the royal box even if you're you can still box, zip wire down. Come down yeah, yeah. this way is yeah <laughs> happy days and then, then, then also because of music being the next thing it's um I'd love to get like the horn section I'm doing a spot for them which is yes. like, I did a spot for them last year there that so they play the music live on stage as I do the stuff and so when I first did that spot it was like this is amazing this yeah. changes it changes the whole feeling and tone of it so to create a tape face band of kind of uh, the 
Jersey. Mus- musicians with their hands tied together. I, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, I think very almost almost there's, there was a, a, a homeless guy in Auckland who I used to give a lot of money to because he was amazing. He was a clarinet player and he could play the most incredible clarinet, but he always looked like he was covered in his own shit and vomit and whatnot. But he would sit there and just play this beautiful clarinet. It was okay. really, really nice. But so yeah, a band made out of completely people of, of the, that kind of homelessy, trampy style would be quite nice. French, mm. obviously. French. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, when are you doing the horn section? Just uh, out of uh, interest. I've no seen. idea. Okay, no so idea. It's, so look out, look out on the horn section for uh, when Sam's going to be there. Uh, that's all we've got time for. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please join me in thanking Mr. Sam Wills? <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, <laughs> And I'm very pleased to tell you that Sam has achieved another one of his goals there with a West End run now happening at the Duchess Theatre in London from the 17th of December until the 5th of January 2013. You can get tickets online through his website, which is, of course, www.theboywithtapeonhisface.com. Thanks to Sam for being on the show. Thank you all for your feedback. Remember, if you'd like to see me do stand-up at a gig somewhere, you can follow the link to my own site from comedianscomedian.com or go straight there, which is stuartgoldsmith.co.uk and look at the calendar page, the gigs page there to see where I'm on. Um, thank you to BBC Worldwide for their support. Thank you to Graham Crockford and Toby Rose, as ever. Hello to Owley. And I'll speak to you lot again next week. Cheerio. Cheerio. <laughs>